Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Interviews Podcast, a series of brief conversations with leading China experts on key issues in the Sino-American relationship. For more interviews, videos, and links to events, visit us at www.ncuscr.org. This is Steve Orleans, President of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by Ling Chun. She is Assistant Professor in the School of Advanced International Studies at John Hopkins University. She's also affiliated with my alma mater, Harvard's Fairbanks Center, as an associate in research. Um, she is one of America's leading experts on the political of China, economy of China, especially state business relations, as well as the politics of industrial and economic policies. So we thought she was the perfect person to bring in for the discussion of the upcoming fifth plenum of the 19th Party Congress. So Ling, welcome. Let's start off with an easy one. It's, this was announced, what, about four weeks ago that we were gonna have the plenum um, within a week of right now. Uh, what should we expect from this, from the fifth plenum of the 19th Party Congress? Thanks very much, Steve, for the very nice introduction. And the um, fifth plenum usually um, has a key component, which is uh, to pass the five-year plan. And we expect that this year, the five-year plan will emphasize economic security and quality growth. And when I say economic security, it really would be the highlight of um, the five-year the five plan because China is dealing with a very challenging global situation. And uh, China is faced with further decoupling of global supply chains. In order to manage the, the crisis and in order to further push for domestic development, China is likely to emphasize economic security through two components. The first is um, emphasize on domestic technology innovation. And the second is emphasize on domestic demand embodied through the so-called strategy of dual circulation. And further, um, there should be some mentioning, although I don't know if this is going to be the most important components, will be further mentioning of um, equitable development, uh, climate change, and uh, environmental sustainability. As far as the growth rate is concerned, um, the target growth rate is likely to be lower to 5% or even 4%. Will they keep targets given what's happened in the first two quarters of, of 2020? Well, they, they're still going to have a project, projected growth rate. They're still going to have a, have a target. It is likely that the target is going to be uh, lower, even lower than the previous a fifth plan what given about, the what situation. about the talk of getting rid of a target i've heard that every time mm -hmm. it comes out every year mm -hmm. there's discussion including amongst chinese of getting rid of the target because it's it's artificial and it, it's you know it doesn't deal with a lot of what you're talking about which are qualitative mm -hmm. not quantitative developments yeah that's that's certainly is a great idea um and there has been a lot of talks and in terms of recommendation of think tanks and policy circles, but uh, I personally am not completely sure that uh, such talks would be as fast, uh, would be fast enough to um, 
reach a, um, a conclusion before the fifth plenum to um, have this work out and then they actually entirely dropped the targets. And after all, targets is also something that international organization um, a lot of time look at um, to judge China's economy. The 14th, this is going to be the 14th five-year plan, which they'll discuss yes. at the upcoming uh, Central Committee meeting. Mm -hmm. What happens to it? This is the, what happens to it subsequently? When does it finally become a plan? This is just a draft at this point. And are there really discussions about it? Are the people who say, oh, nah, this project in Guizhou is not a good idea? Well, this is actually called the proposal of the 14th five-year plan. And the actual five-year plan is much more complicated because this, this is more like an overall guidelines. Then after the overall guidelines and the proposals are discussed, they're going to implement it over the next five years and many detailed proposals in different departments like the Department of Commerce, the, Minist the Ministry of Commerce, the Ministry of Science and Technology are all going to have their own um, five-year plans and each local government, each local government's departments are have are going to have uh, implementation details as well. So that's the the what is actually come 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 out of this five-year plan is going to be look somewhat abstract, but it has a signaling effect overall. When does it get finalized? Will it be finalized at this central committee meeting, or does it? go on through additional drafts? I, uh, my understanding is um, it's not going to, it's not necessarily going to be finalized of, of the central, um, this, this uh, central committee meeting, and it still needs to take some time to actually eventually finalize. And, and um, the process is going to be more of um, people discussing, um, the leaders discuss on the stage, and finally there is a, a passing stage that where everyone raised their their hands. Mm -hmm. Does Li Keqiang carry the, the burden because he's supposed to be in charge of this from a government point of view? Or does Xi Jinping carry the burden of kind of talking on stage and describing the plan? Well, we expect them to both play roles, but um, just judge from the past um, five to 10 years experience, I think um, President Xi Jinping is likely to play a very important role. And what's this dual circulation strategy that's been talked about in the Chinese press as of late and by the Chinese leadership? Yeah, dual circulation strategy is a very interesting and timely strategy. It basically emphasizes um, both domestic circulation and international circulation. And for domestic circulation, it emphasizes um, using domestic market, domestic demands to um, to stimulate further economic growth and um, using domestic te technology development um, to further further combines the markets and the business. Um, the international circulation is another aspect that China is not going to give up on or shut up from participating in globalization and therefore um, China wanted to uh, still continue to engage in engage with foreign markets, foreign um, technology, foreign investment. However, the emphasis is really um, on domestic circulation. And this is, um, again, to deal with the challenges of further decoupling of global supply chains 
and especially in face of situation that U.S. will further restrict um, the the exports of technology components to Chinese uh, domestic firms, and or whether there is another round of uh, trade war ongoing. The recent comments by a lot of the folks on the on the standing committee and the and the Politburo have talked about the very challenging international environment, um, and that they they should not be relying on exports for for domestic GDP growth. Mm -hmm. Are we going to see a return to kind of the days when I first studying China, Zili uh, Gangsheng, you know, self reliance, which is really I almost hear in this dual circulation strategy, it resonates with the, when I started Chinese, the Zili Gangsheng, the, the, the self-reliance uh, principle. Yes, yes. So uh, in this context, a translation or a narrative is more self-sufficiency uh, or self-reliance, but I'm not sure, and I don't think it's accurate to understand it as China going back to say the Maoist years where everything has to uh, shut down, uh, uh, shut off from the outside contact, and China has to uh, run out on its own to, to do everything. So China certainly wanted to be prepared for the worst situation. However, uh, this kind of self-sufficiency uh, resonates more with, for example, um, uh, many years ago, the dom domestic or indigenous innovation um, paradigm, and also resonates a bit more with um, the overall turning of um, to domestic markets and turning to domestic uh, industrial competitiveness. So in, in, in other words, this is not entirely new, but the emphasis on domestic demand is certainly um, more eye-catching. We expect it to be more eye-catching in the face of climate. The, uh, what do you make of it when they had these study sessions for the Politburo, which get, which get put on television? So it's very interesting. You can watch the Xinwen Lianbo, the, the, the evening news in the morning in, in New York. Mm -hmm. And what do you make of this? Like they had a study session, I think it was on quantum computing? Yes, exactly. What, what is, I mean, so the standing committee in the Politburo needs to understand quantum computing? Maybe I should attend that class so I can attend, so I can understand it. What, what is that about? Well, um, yes, it's on the 16th, I believe, about five days ago, um, President Xi Jinping organized a connective study of the, um, of the public bureau members, and um, they all um, get together and uh, had a study about quantum technology. I don't think that every single member needs to actually uh, thoroughly understand the technology, but um, the emphasis is really on the fact that um, China needs to have breakthrough in this so-called crucial core technology. Um, for example, quantum technology is, is one area certainly, but also uh, chip making uh, is another uh, crucial core technology, um, um, uh, which is guan jian he xin ji shu in Chinese. Yeah, so a core, a core, uh, core technology, yeah. Uh, the, the goal of the leadership has been to have a moderately prosperous society by this year, mm. by 2020, mm -hmm. um, and eliminate poverty. Will they announce at this meeting that, that they have succeeded in doing that? Well, I would, in this aspect, I would be more optimistic 
and think that it's po very possible they're, they're going to do that and it's possible they can reach their goal. If you look at um, 2019, that one year China has brought um, about 10 million people out of poverty. And um, then by the end of 2019 in December, there's about 5 million left. Even though there is a disruption of the pandemic, uh, within the entire year of 2020, and now we're kind of coming to an end of 2020, uh, it's, it's likely that they, they are, even if they don't announce the complete of this task in the fifth plan, they're going to announce that they are going to successfully complete by the end of this year. And, and that means everybody's per capita income is more than 13 RMB a day? For, what, what, what's the, what's mm -hmm. the standard? So the standard, the international standard used from World Bank is about $2, $1.9 per day. However, China's standard is uh, slightly lower if you trans translate that into, into year income. So yearly income needs to be um, around um, 2,300 RMB. Um, uh, so, I mean, because if the uh, international standard trans translated to yearly income would be about 4,800 and China used 2,300 RMB, so that the line of poverty is slightly lower. Uh -huh. So they will announce that there's virtually nobody who, who now has income below that. And do you think yes. it's true? Do you think it's true? Um, well, um, this is, well, this is a difficult question, but <laughs> uh, we have to we have to uh, believe in the um, reporting of the um, some the localities essentially, and sometimes there could be, as we, we already know, um, for GDP numbers for a lot of uh, economic indicators, they could be misreporting or false reporting um, or exaggeration of numbers. It could be, um, but I think the overall trend should be that it's still there's going to be significant reduction of poverty, especially um, given that. Uh, given the past record and given the fact that uh, e-commerce has emerged and a lot of the rural area and villages have been turned into the hubs of e-commerce. In doing, kind of preparing for this discussion with you, I tried to see what Western media has written about mm -hmm. this upcoming um, plenum. There's nothing. <laughs> well, why? This is likely the largest economy in the world. This is the planning conference for it. Mm -hmm. Why is there so little uh, publicity about it is part one. And second, talk a little about the history of these fifth plenums, which mm -hmm. are, I believe, economic plenums. Well, um, I believe that's, I agree with you that there aren't as many reports that we would expect it. And I think the reason, um, or probably because there are a lot of other things ongoing that in, in terms of US-China relations that, um, well, even trade war can be put aside. Um, and the, the recent um, issues, for example, with, um, uh, with WeChat and with um, and TikTok, and there's also the, uh, the recent um, ongoing issues with um, US-China relations um, in the new era if uh, US has were able to elect a new president. So there's a lot of things on the agenda that grab people's attention. I guess that's part of the reason. Hopefully it's not because that China is trying to give us a surprise. Hopefully it's just because there's a lot of other dominating issues. Well, that was gonna be my next question. I guess we don't know if it's gonna be a surprise. Is there any history of surprises at fifth plenums? Um, you know, where 
number one, any surprise on the economic side? Mm-hmm. Is there is there kind of a black swan that mm-hmm. we're not we're not looking at? And are there potentially non-economic issues that come up? Uh, overall, I don't think there's going to be a surprise surprise. And the reason I said that is because China is already facing an unprecedentedly, um, should I call unfriendly global environment, and they know that. So I don't think it's in the interest of the um, party leadership to actually suddenly launch a surprise um, event at the plenum because um, they already got their they already got plenty to deal with. What about a positive surprise? So further, you know, I always look back mm-hmm. to the third plenum of the 18th Party Congress, which is now uh, seven years mm-hmm. ago. And, I, and that when I read that report, it was a very positive surprise to me. I was pleased with the emphasis on market reform, Mm -hmm. on having market being the leading factor in the economy, Mm -hmm. and have disappointed over the last seven years that the overwhelming majority of those reforms have not been enacted. Is it possible that the leadership has kind of recognized that, and they're going to reach back and pull some of the uh, reforms back into the pot for the, you know, the, the 14th five-year plan? Well, there is that possibility uh, in the sense that nothing is impossible, uh, but I think the possibility is not very high, and, and, here, is, and here is why. Um, in the, during that third plenum that you mentioned, indeed, they have um, push forward uh, market-friendly reforms, and against that benchmark, we would probably be um, saying there's still a long way to go. But it also depends on the different readings of the third plenum, because the third plenum also said very clearly that state-owned enterprises is unshakable foundation of the economy, and the private private enterprises are just in complementary to um, the the public ownership. Um, and afterwards, um, President Xi Jinping has made several trips and again has emphasized that, for example, the party leadership is the root and the soul of uh, state-owned enterprises and, and their, re- and their um, position is unshakable. Um, so this is the first reason. But when we look at further the recent development, because of the, in- uh, the global in- environment, there's also rising of a nationalist sentiment in China uh, um, among the population, among the leadership. Um, also, uh, there is a recent trend of increasing the party's leadership, increasing um, President Xi Jinping's leadership within the party and in the country. So all adding up together, I think this timing might not be uh, exactly right for having uh, a very sudden radical uh, market liberalization reforms. Having said that, I I, I think that they are still going to have markets reform, market friendly reforms in the in the background, for example, creating a friendly environment for business operation, especially for foreign and private ent- um, enterprises, and um, reducing the hassle that local governments over um, business. This kind of uh, emphasis on yingshanhuanjing, um, business operating environment, would be uh, welcome because China, after all, realized that they need private ent- entrepreneurs and need private ent- uh, enterprises for b- both economic and political reasons. You know, history teaches us that you know, economic reform, this kind of market reform 
outside of China and within China creates a surge of economic growth that for 12 months, maybe it's kind of, it doesn't, it, that may actually create drop, but then you get this real surge of economic growth. And I think there are people in the Chinese leadership who understand this quite well. Mm -hmm. So I think the question is, can they persuade uh, the standing committee, the, the Politburo, and ultimately the Central Committee, that in order to kind of satisfy the, the people of China, they need this reform because ultimately they run up against the problems of state-owned enterprises, the problems of monopoly. You know, we know, you're, you focus on the political, we know the ROE of state-owned enterprises is horrendous. It's terrible. And we know that these monopolists, I always joke, you know, I loved being a monopolist when I was in private equity. It made my life easier. I could just go home and take monopoly revenue. Um, so don't you, th is, I guess my question is, is there uh, a group in China who believe that in order to maintain the rule of the CCP, you're gonna need economic reform? Yes, I, I do believe there is a group, for example, Liu He, um, the, the primary, she's primary economic advisor, would be um, for, would be, advocating for more market reforms. And I believe um, uh, Li Keqiang, Premier Li Keqiang, also um, tend to emphasize market reforms and less administration hassles and, um, and, and um, creating a more friendly environment for especially medium and small enterprises. Um, uh, I think my point though is that it's not true that after the third plenum that you mentioned that there's completely no progress. So there's less progress in the very top upper string, big, gigantic SOEs, state-owned enterprises. However, in the middle and lower string, they allow further allow mixed ownership. Um, uh, and, in, and so in the middle, lower string of the production, actually there's um, more progress. Um, and also there's um, opening of um, financial markets start formal opening financial markets um, for um, foreign enterprises uh, starting uh, April 1st this year. So there is, there are some um, progresses, even though they might be limited, um, but I, I still think there, there is. And, and um, the good news though, is that in order to further rely on domestic demand and domestic consumption, China still has to maintain a market approach that, um, and, that actually benefit the, the majority of population that they have to keep in mind in order to make the dual circulation strategy work. Xi Jinping visited Shenzhen for the 40th anniversary. It brought to mind uh, Deng Xiaoping's southern trip, where it was he then kind of fired up reform and opening. Mm -hmm. Any chance that this is what when uh, was going on when Xi Jinping gave his speech in Shenzhen? Um, so, just to clarify your question, is is it that what is it, you is it a relighting? Is it his kind of statement that we're going to move more rapidly towards reform and opening than we have over the last few years? Just as you know, Deng Xiaoping after June fourth, mm -hmm. you know, reform got frozen, so it was almost three years mm -hmm. until Deng went down south mm -hmm. um, and gave speeches, which were initially not, not reported mm -hmm. by state media because there was not 
consensus behind him at that point, but he announced we're going to move again towards reform and opening. And it took a long time for that to take hold. Is there some possibility that that's the case, or am I just the eternal optimist? Well, there it's, it's certainly possible in the sense that China is currently um, emphasizing creating domestic, building domestic markets and making the market more transparent. You cannot have um, any economic activities um, working without a transparent market mechanism. And you cannot have, you have to remove those local barriers as well. Um, although we have to also not overread into that message because Xi Jinping, President Xi Jinping also, for example, from time to time visit and have um, meeting with private entrepreneurs and emphasize importance of private private enterprises um, in in building up uh, in building up um, uh, China in building China's market economy in China's market reforms. So um, so from time to time, the central government seems to be sending out signals. Um, two signals. On, on the one hand, we, it's really unshakable that we have to emphasize uh, uh, the central role of SOEs and we have to emphasize the central role of party leadership. On the other hand, we also wanted the support of the private and, um, ent entrepreneurs and the uh, market-friendly uh, environment. So they are, um, this is, well, in my, in my own concept, this is called due signaling. They always do this due signaling almost at the same time during various kinds of visits. Yeah, I, of course, can't forget that really one of the founders of Shenzhen was Xi Zhongxun. So, so Xi Jinping's father yeah. played a critical role in the creation of Shenzhen. And how can a son go to where the father played a critical role in the creation of the place and not, not feel that? I guess I, I'm a huge believer in the the apple never falls far from the tree, so that who the parents are is often who the, the children are. And when he goes to Shenzhen, when he went to, he could have chosen not to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wouldn't have, people just would have shrugged. But that he chooses to go, I think, is interesting that he chooses to go before the, the fifth plenum is, I think, obviously it was the actual anniversary, but, but uh, uh, I, think, I think it's interesting. Is he secure in his leadership? Well, um, first of all, I do not know if if it's to judge whether he himself feels secure. I do not know his feeling. Um, it, as far as the Shenzhen trip uh, visit, I think Shenzhen does play a very important role in China's um, opening and in China's market reforms. And also recently, there is talks about the further development of the, the Pearl River data of, that connects Shenzhen and Hong Kong and the broader Guangdong region. So in terms of regional development strategy, I think in this aspect, the visit is really necessary. Uh, in terms of security of um, President Xi Jinping, I would, even though I cannot uh, comment too much on that, I think that uh, the, uh, if there are challenges, the challenges are still gonna be more likely to come from um, external rather than domestic in, inside China. And the reason I say that is because China has undergone many decades of different kinds of problems and challenges. And, um, and Xi Jinping is a, President Xi Jinping is a well-trained leader um, in th this aspect as every, almost every ch China's politician has gone through a lot of 
of trainings and experience of these, and they 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 um, come from lo localities in China. He was originally uh, was in Zhejiang, right? So there, he has already faced a lot. Um, yet the international challenge that China is currently facing is unprecedented. So um, in order to in so in order to um, deal with the international challenge, it's likely that uh, that um, the overall strategy is still to preserve this uh, stability. I was fascinated that when he spoke in Shenzhen, uh, even though you have the quarantine rules uh, in effect in China when you go from Hong Kong, mm -hmm. he had quite close to him Dong Jianhua, uh, Carrie Lam, mm -hmm. and some other folks from Hong Kong, clearly within, um, you know, six feet, and they were not wearing masks. I found that a, a very interesting uh, part of watching the televised. Uh, part of his speech. Um, what's going to be the effect of the plenum on uh, U.S.-China relations? What can we look for? Well, obviously, it's five days before our election. So, yes, yes. So maybe we wanted to do that all together. We have the fifth plenum, and, and then the U.S. election. Then we we know better um, where we're heading to. Um, so, as we mentioned, that a lot of these measures China are likely to, to take um, either at or after the plenum or certain kind of response to the current global environment, um, then if China can successfully implement these strategies, including the dual circulation strategy, um, its improvement of the Institution for Science and Technology Innovation, and all these, and creating domestic demand, if they can um, successfully implement the strategies, then um, China would reduce, significantly reduce its reliance on um, external and export markets. That also means that the U.S. strategy of weaponizing its uh, supply chain because of its dominant role in the global supply chain is going to be less effective in this context. And not just China is going to rely less on this um, such supply chain, but as China Chinese enterprises gradually climb up the supply chain, you know, as we can see from uh, enterprises like uh, Huawei or ZTE, then it also means that for US, it's less likely for US to be persuasive to other countries to join join United States uh, in containing China. So I think that's that's uh, the biggest implement, um, uh, implication for the plan on. Of course, of course, we have to wait for the um, the big election to see um, what's the what's the influence of the the president. I mean, my hope is that the plenum leads to more reform, which creates a better atmosphere for U.S.-China relations, whether uh, President Trump is reelected or uh, Vice President Biden is elected and needs to formulate a new uh, U.S. policy towards China. Um, you know, that that it's important that the Chinese understand that they can take lots of actions, you know, in economic sector, in the human rights sector in the South China Sea vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan, I could go on and on, mm -hmm. which sets a very positive atmosphere for mm -hmm. uh, 
um, for, for U.S.-China yes. relations as we enter this new period, even if Trump is reelected, they will rethink what their, their policy is. Well, I started this by asking uh, Professor Ling Chun what the, why there's so little reporting on this in the media. So hopefully we have now succeeded in educating our listeners about what is coming up um, in the next few days on in the, uh, the fifth plenum of the 19th Party Congress. It will, be, it will be interesting. I think it will be very important. And I can't thank you enough for educating me and our listeners uh, on about this. Thanks, Steve. And, and let me emphasize more that um, U.S.-China relations, it takes to two countries to make a relationship. So the U.S.-China relation, even though right now it's at its downturn, with uh, the, the force coming of the plenum, and especially with the possibility of electing a new president, we will expect more mature policies, especially from the U.S. side. And, and with that, um, the China's response, the China side response will likely to be also more positive as both countries also have a lot to gain by um, nurturing a market-friendly environment by um, further deepening reforms. A lot of the current um, reaction of China uh, comes, from the, comes from the pressure the U.S. Um, put on it and also comes from um, the um, international environment that galvanized China or even um, uh, pressed China to take certain actions. So I certainly hope that after the plenum and after the election, everything will be, um, will be back, at least back to normal, if not much more positive. I don't, expect, I don't expect back to normal, but I expect hopefully in either, no matter who is elected, we're back to something that's more rational at least. But I agree with everything you said. Thank you so much. Sice is lucky to have you. But thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Steve. It's my pleasure. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.